Hello! I'm glad you're here. I'm media disruption developer Kai Hubris, and this is EurekaCast Now, where science meets technology meets you. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Meadowlark from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Hey there, Rowan. Hello, and let us all adjust our yoni and or yoni in preparation for the program this evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, adjust, adjust that right up because we have a lot of very interesting science and technology updates and eureka moments, things that came out last week that we think that c- citizen scientists out there should learn about. We have them uh, ready for you. Absolutely. And uh, before we get started, though, I think it's important to take a moment and discuss the um, the state of of technology, um, frankly, and really? what technology has been doing. Yes, I normally I know that normally you like to take the helm on these intros, sure, and and discuss you know things coming out of right. Tech Brothers or the Tech Box, what have you. Mm-hmm. But I feel compelled to discuss something because this has been percolating in the back of my mind for a while, and that is the monopoly that companies have these days with regards to how information is received, where information is hosted, how one can interact with ideas that right. uh, that are, for one reason or another, deemed uh, controversial or unacceptable. Right, right. the... Uh... The marketplace of ideas and how those are, are bought, sold, and shared. Right, and 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 specifically, and also what, stored. What came to mind with this is the um, complete internet scrubbing of Guru Jeffrey Shankar um, from the internet. Uh, Guru Shankar. Um, I haven't I haven't heard of this person in the in the first place, Rowan. That you're telling me they they got scrubbed from the internet. Absolutely, absolutely, that is what happened. They are one of the foremost leaders in the meditative sciences a real mm. forward thinking individual right uh, with a great deal of uh, of work um out there both formal in terms of treatises and manifestos and informal in terms of posts made through various social media platforms and mm. that is such a wellspring of wisdom and and it, frankly intelligence that has been completely and utterly removed by the powers that be by these few companies that have a uh, a stranglehold on the internet and it's it's really quite frustrating really, there there are companies that have gone out of their way to not even out of their way they, they as as a matter of for whatever reason they have deemed it appropriate to remove all mentions of a specific person in their scientific work from the the entire internet. Well, it's just been forced underground, and I'll be the first to admit mm-hmm. that there has been a bit of controversy regarding um, uh, Guru Shankar. Oh. Uh, a tiny bit of that, and but what, that what is, is that? not. Um, well, that's neither. Well, I should say the former Guru Shankar, um, and that's another tragedy. In this, is that the man's not even here to defend himself. The man is no longer present in this plane, oh. in this existence. He to... hasn't been. He he didn't get his guruship taken from him. He's gotten his life taken from him well one could look at it that way i I don't think having life taken is the word uh, that Mm. i or guru shankar would approve of it's more of that spirit had been given to the aether i see and so many of his followers and himself gave their spirit to the aether that's that's the one thing that that these these corporations couldn't take from him no they they couldn't but they are attempting to take away his legacy and that really steams my beans as a matter of fact Mm. what happened at the compound is of no concern to the credulity and the validity of the breakthroughs that he had shared and the workings run what what did happen at the compound well Guru Shankar and a number of his followers mm-hmm. gave their spirit to the Aether, and oh. it, as it was a conscious, no one, no one was forced against their will to do this. It was a I conscious, see. consensual decision made between a group of peers and their guru. But I, when, I when, and... when these sort of events occur, uh-huh. there is an out outsized response from those who are not, frankly, as enlightened as Guru Shankar or uh, his followers or myself, frankly. So this is so this is this is the reason that that they have been scrubbed is is because of uh... something that is totally and utterly irrelevant to the Ah, teachings at hand. Yes, of course. Yes. 
and and the man's not around to defend himself. No. But you know, a goddess rest his soul. So I, I I felt the need to bring that up. It's it's yeah. I I, I we try to avoid political issues. Yeah. But I feel as though this is not a political yeah, this issue. Is, this is certainly not a political issue, and in some ways, it's not even a controversial issue. And. Uh, yeah, that is that is very very fascinating, and, and thanks for for letting us know what that happens that consensually in a compound is of no business to the wider world accepting the corpse disposal individuals. Right, and don't and don't we all know it? But but Rowan, as fascinating as that was, and as as certainly um, considerate as that was to to everybody involved, uh, why don't you tell us about what you've brought for us for your Eureka moment this week? Right, um, and. Uh, Speaking of corpse removal, we do have a, oh. a, quite a, a a very interesting story. Um, a first, our first, I should say, Eureka. Nope. You you brought you brought a Eureka. Nope today. That's right. And, and awesome. What we do in this segment is, of course, we we have the distinct honor, I suppose you could say, of of sure. debunking some of the wilder claims that that w- get made on the uh, on the wider internet and society. Truly, one of my favorite things to do is debunk some things that are clearly not science. It, uh, absolutely, and it's so satisfying when we can report on a story where exactly that happened. Mm-hmm. So let's get a little context. Members of the Linux community and sort of the wider open source mm-hmm. movement right. were shocked last month to find the skeleton of Linus Torvald up for sale on an internet auction site. Right. Now, big, big news. Huge news, especially for anyone involved in those sort of computer right. spheres. Linus. It, we're talking about Linus here. Yeah. Well, a, the the granddaddy and daddy of right. Linux as we know and it. And the, the brother, basically. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and so... The skeleton goes up for auction on a website, and there's sort of immediate suspicion. But yeah, people are uh, bitcoins, dogecoins, uh, te- techets, all, all sorts of things were bidding for those for those bones. Right, exactly, and it it got wildly out of control uh, because you know it, it might have been fake to their minds, but if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. There's only one yeah. of these skeletons going around. The value is only going to appreciate. There's no better investment. There really isn't, but that's a discussion for another time. Ultimately, the skeleton ended up selling for more than $1 million to a wealthy oil field developer in Arkansas who chooses to be anonymous. That's, I mean, think about the the, the broken conversion with that. I will try not to. So about that that was about five months ago. Mm. Um, And... It sort of came, you know, it happened and then it went under uh, underground, yeah, out of the limelight. Yeah, I that much about it recently. Well, just this last week, this oh. same buyer who chose to remain anonymous mm-hmm. had findings of this medical oddity given out, that he gave them out, uh, the wow. results of an appraiser to come forward and ultimately say that this was not the skeleton wow. of Mr. Torvald, that, they, that, that this was a hoax. They went on they went on some sort of antique bone show and got them appraised for, for their value, and, and they said these aren't authentic. Essentially, essentially. And the fact that he would come forward with this, especially after having sunk so much money into right. it, is is a laudable right. in a sense honorable really it is um, we need more we need more billionaires like that so ultimately what they had used this these appraisers uh was a number of high-tech tools uh, mass spectrometers x-ray diffractors plumb mm-hmm. bob densi- densitometers yeah any number all, of things, all those things. Uh, the whole the whole array and it was ultimately determined that the skeleton was not Linus Torvald, a Finnish man in his 60s, but rather from an Asian male in his 70s. Mm. Uh, To be fair, it's not incredibly shocking. After all, the the likelihood of these remains, these body parts, not being kept by the estate or given to a close personal friend and put up for auction, it was hard to believe. Or somehow absorbed into the the Linux uh, software somehow. Uh, Absolutely. Perhaps interned in some sort of kernel and and distributed. Point being, though, it's not incredibly shocking, but I, I would like to take a moment to bring to say that this really does bring home the importance of vetting your corpse suppliers. Truly, I have personally lost 
more money than I'd like to admit getting scammed by unscrupulous sellers mm. putting counterfeit body parts up for auction. Right. They well, don't they they call them scalpers for a reason. Absolutely. It's it's atrocious and you know I try to give these individuals the benefit of the doubt that perhaps they're just they don't know how to evaluate these things properly. Right. They don't know what they're selling so they say it's one thing and it ultimately just makes a huge headache. One right personal example i want to give one example right we all have which is one example i took a five thousand dollar loss on the phalange what i thought was a phalange of a tibetan monk only to find out it was the metatarsal of a baptist minister and that was simon amy institute of spirit science money that i had to ask for and requisition and and, and, this is for research it was for research and ultimately we did find use for that metatarsal but it, it it still just goes to show it's it was embarrassing. So right. please, if you are purchasing these sort of artifacts, these sort of curiosities, these sort of samples, right. make sure you have a reputable supplier and make sure that you do your homework. Right. Even if it's something as small as a finger. You know, I, I once put down a, a chunk of change, a chunk of broken on on some, on some the, the finger or what was advertised as the finger of, of, a, of a leading a leading entrepreneur in the social media game. Mm-hmm. Um, let's 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 call him Mark. Uh-huh. Um, and it turns out, I looked at pictures. I, I had this finger, and I didn't have, even have to do any mass spectroscopy. I just saw pictures of Mark, and he had all his fingers. It's, and we didn't didn't I have egg on my face? It, it, it is. It's you know. It's uh, there's so many. It's it's caveat emptor. Sure. Buyer beware. Right. Uh, we did, of course, reach out to Mr. Torvalds for comment, but he did not respond in time for us to right. put his comments in. But you're still you're still waiting for that response. Um, we're we're hoping that he'll weigh in on this uh, uh-huh. sort of situation. But um, Kai, I do believe you have a story for us as well. I do have a story. I can see the look on your face. Uh-huh. I am very uh, through, of course, this webcast that we're doing. Right. Uh, and through it, Rondé. Rondé really accentuates when, when somebody has something really important to talk about. The it, lighting it, is just perfect in the software. Be, yeah, it can be rather ghoulish at times, but this time it's actually showing off quite uh, successfully. That um, So what what is this that you are so excited about? Well, first I, I just want to... I just want to say what we're all thinking. Like, a big piece of, of science and technology news was, no doubt, all citizen scientists out there. Citizen science, you particularly probably must have heard the national story of the landing of the Perseverance, the, the latest Mars rover, part of the NASA's Mars 2020 mission, uh, landing on the Martian surface this past week. Yeah, of course, it's been everywhere. It's um, whenever... We put some sort of rover or buggy or mm-hmm. vehicle on right. Mars. It's a big, um, big exciting it's moment. A big story. It's a big story. I Mars gained necess- one more angel. I don't necessarily know if I agree with the amount of attention it receives. Mars being pretty boring, all things considered. <laughs> but uh, that's neither wow. here or there. It always gets away. Save, th- save the citizen science for I, I, afternoon. This is not a Eureka soapbox, but I could soapbox about how um, ultimately boring and patriarchal Mars is and its obsession, <laughs> etc. Um, but please, yes, the okay. Perseverance rover did yeah. land. Yeah, so that's that's the national news. What Chicagoans, what I'm sure many Chicago, Chicagoans particularly, are super excited about is hearing that, well, the NASA collaboration with TRISEC, the Chicago Incubator for Space Exploration and Colonization, also went through, and the two rovers, the Insistence and the Iron Buzzard, who were first pitched as support robots that would help the Perseverance, but then they sort of came together as a team, were also sent and also did land this past week. Izzy and the Iron Buzzard have landed on the Martian surface with Percy. Well, that's fantastic. I I am not very familiar with my astronauts, my cosmonauts either. Mm. But I that I feel as though that must it it's, could easily be the first or not, if not one of the first Chicagoans to make it to Mars. True, truly, yes. Um, first first Chicagoans, especially our robot uh, citizens, who we love and care about here at Tech Brothers. And Tech Brothers did, of course, have a lot of involvement in this collaboration. They helped provide some of the research and, and build. Um, you know, the Chicago's Chicago, the Tech Brothers uh, robotics labs did help with the with the construction and the research for these two robots. Um, and also, I don't, I don't want to. 
I don't want to be too bashful about this, but the, but part of my big project for past few years, honestly, uh, has been putting together a show. And this might be the reason that a lot of kids, citizen science youth out there, might know a lot more about these rovers than even some of the adults, is that New Media Labs have worked very hard on constructing a morning Adventure Time television show airing live, or not live, airing every Saturday morning on Gammer Kids, Tech Brothers, New Media Labs, uh, New Kids Adjacent Station, um, airing and streaming all on all Guy 5 networks. They, they, have, uh, they have documented Percy, Izzy, and the Iron Buzzard's adventures on Rescue Rovers. So presumably this is an animated program? Oh, yes. I mean, I mean, I don't know. If you call it animation, there's a, there's a lot of special effects. There's a lot of algorithms that go into it. It is truly a, a, an exceptionally produced show. Um, I'd say it's it's the next level of animation. I'd say it's ulti- ultimate animation. Is this the rest of your segment? Is the rest of your story talking about this no, show? No, 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 no. Okay. I, I just want to touch on the show. Okay. Because, uh, well, actually, I think, so this is what new media is about. I think we've danced around this a lot, but what new media is about, right. it's about conveying media in a new way. And this is the new way that we've been looking for. So I want to convey exactly what we plan to achieve with this mission i want to convey to all the citizen scientists out there that may not know as much as even their kids might about what's going on by explaining it in the terms that we're explaining it to their children when they watch rescue robots every more every saturday morning rescue rovers well i let me just get into it okay you can you can you can judge it when when you've heard it please please explain the concept so percy with their sleek build um, and armor provided by NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratories is joined with their sprightly companion, Integrity, or Gritty, who they have stored safely in their stomach pouch. They have a sick multi-terrain treads mm. and boast gadgets such as rock-vaporizing lasers, ground-penetrating radars, snap high-resolution panoramas, decoupled inferometers, alpha particle X-ray spectrometers, Vertical grip for submitting Martian mountains and burrowing deep into the Martian hovels and caves. Percy's mission is to look for signs of life uh, and have uh, habitability in the rough Martian terrain and to determine how people might live on the Martian surface, which is something we can all get behind. They're always looking for adventure and are game for whatever. And they're known for their legendary catchphrase, ready to rock. How do they speak in this? Is in the it, show or in real in life? The, in the show. Uh, well, it's very. I mean, we have. I, I mean, we, I'm just. I. I would. I. I would love to see. I want to understand the how you're depicting this because, if you'll forgive me, a Mars rover is not a remarkably, um, a- a- anthro. Anthropomorphic. Thank you. Anthropomorphic entity. It's not an anth- a very anthropomorphic sort of construction. Well, that's where new media comes in. Oh. Yeah. So this is so we've we've given these robots the ability to speak, and let me tell you what: when they do speak, you really feel it. I'm it's sure. almost like real actors. We actually had some some people in the studio in the New Media Lab studios, uh, you know, doing some um, doing some work in front of some cameras uh, to determine the right movements for these robots. Okay, so perse- so that's that's Percy. That's yeah. Percy Perseverance, and so, it is there looking for signs of life. Okay, that is yeah. that is, and they're also really in an adventure. Okay, and that's a very Fan- important. That, to the show. That, that is fantastic. Now we have Izzy. Yes, Izzy is busy setting up the stations and sensors all over the surface, collecting that data, setting up those collection statements, soldering printing circuit boards, monitoring. They're outfitted with advanced blockchain capabilities, IR interface uh, mechanisms, data analysis and interpolation uh, uh, procedures, and highly advanced repair and hacking abilities. So their main focus is sort of as the engineer in the uh, reconnaissance uh, on, on the Martian surface. Now, when you say that it has blockchain capabilities, right. is that solely within the context of this program or is that something that Chisek felt the need to in- include in in this Mars rover It's it's very important. I mean this is oh. this is a robot. Let me tell you about their they don't necessarily have one catchphrase. It's not like ready to rock, but they do have a number of catchphrases catchphrases such as our signal's been jammed and we've got the data and I'm in. Like classic classic hacking catchphrases because this is the hacker of the group. 
And and personally, my favorite. So, what? How does that relate to the actual insistence rover on Mars? It, well, it's it's a basic, and this is the great thing: is it's basically the same thing. There are very few differences. There may be a few, one or two artistic it, it, choices. So, so that were made. It, you, the the insistence rover is blockchain compatible and can hack. Um, correct. One hundred percent. Hack anything. All right. Now there's one more, right? Yes, there's yes. one more, and yes. this one is the Iron Buzzard. That name is striking. I will say that. Is this right. the is this the villain of your program? No. Is this sort of like no, no. No, they're a team. They're a power. They're a powerhouse team. This is probably one of the one of the best teams we've ever sent into space. Is this robot power team? Mm. Um, is this rover power team? The Iron Buzzer is pro- possibly the most important rover of them all, and certainly on the most important mission of them all, and that is to scrap and decommission the remaining Martian rovers that, that, currently, uh, that currently reside on the planet Mars. Well, while I can see the practical application of that in the real world, that is somewhat ghoulish in a children's program wherein the assumption is that these other rovers all have personhood, isn't it? Well, we want to make sure that in in trying to convey this science, we want to make sure we're giving kids, we're not beating around the bush. We're giving kids the hard science. We're giving it in maybe a little bit more of a, of a, of a, you know, a digestible way, but we're giving them the science. And that is that some robots, well, they're currently just on, on the Martian surface. They're currently just not efficient or useful anymore um, due to the, the power team that is the rescue rovers. So, uh, for example, Curiosity, the Star Child, uh, just a few years ago, we all remembered Curio- the Curiosity rover, as, as well as the, uh, the Tynwen-1, who has not touched down on the surface yet. Well, both of those robots are in for something of a surprise when they meet the Iron Buzzard, who will effectively be decommissioning all these robots to scrap them for parts, because this new rescue team is, is really the most efficient way to go. That raises some questions as to how other countries will perceive this but uh, let's move on because we are running low on time right so um i mean the other thing is so those are the first two robots but then the the, the real question the real challenge and the reason we had to really do some important engineering work uh, when it comes to the iron buzzer was that there are some robots that that now lie missionless wandering aimlessly hibernating waiting for some signal and some of them haven't even been heard from I mean, in a while at all, and, and those include like the Spirit, Opportunity, and Sojourn. Those those rovers, we have no idea where they are. So we need a real, real bloodhound when it comes to a, a Martian rover, and that's why we had to outfit the Iron Buzzer with uh, like rust color to blend in with surroundings, as well as uh, tracking abilities, tracking programs, uh, jaded abrasive jaws and long serrated blades, spikes and and fluids programmed mm. to trap. And uh, it will dispose of its of its targets as well as a a number of artillery options. And this is this is for de- decommissioning other rovers. Yes, it's for taking them. Yeah, taking them out of commission because they are no longer needed. Is there is there not ample room on Mars for other rovers to you know be elsewhere? Is it strictly necessary to have a well, frankly, something with artillery to deal with these other rovers. Is that is that necessary? It's 100% necessary. It's very important that these robots are removed from the surface and are not able to, you know, get into trouble, mess things up, as it were. Well, I'm certainly not an astrophysicist, nor am I a xenobiologist, right. though I'm sure the xenobiologists would have quite a few points to make about this. Uh, so, the, so yeah, so let me, let me, the Iron Buzzer is really, truly a magnificent specimen. The initial plan was to outfit this rover with a range of automatic assault rifles and machine guns, but what we found, the research, was that shrapnel is actually a much better artillery on the, in the Mars environment, specifically explosives and shotguns, so that's primarily what makes up the artillery of, of the Iron Buzzard. And also, when push comes to shove, this rover can generate sandstorms using highly powered propulsion jets to incapacitate its targets. Truly an excellent rover. Is this once again, is this is this the actual Iron Buzzard rover or is this within the world of this fiction that you are creating? The, uh, again, the, the, Rowan, the rescue rover. Rowan, fiction is related to to fact here. And, and, and in the same way, 
all the other robots, they truly have catchphrases. And if you meet them in person, they can say those catchphrases when prompted. But this rover does not have a catchphrase per se. It mostly just communicates through raspy, drawn-out hisses. I'm sure the children love that. They can't get enough of it. Uh, these robot, the robot remnants are then re reduced and recycled on the spot and brought back to the Rescue Rover Space Base, as NASA calls it, um, for easy to make into important scientific equipment. Engineers are still waiting, both at TriSec and at the Jet Propulsion Labs, uh, are waiting to hear back on updates on the Rescue Rover's missions um, and, and, and just to see what's, see what's going on up there. And I'm super excited to get the data back from that. Well, there were some interesting points to be made, and it sounds as though this will be an exciting mission to track as time goes on. It certainly will be. Thank you very much, Kai. Of course. So uh, before we go to our mid-show break, we have instead a mid-show affirmation. Not instead, but point. nevertheless, we have a mid-show affirmation mm -hmm. from the Old Souls Almanac. Oh, great. Now, this is a quote from Renshaw Givtali, famed mm -hmm. druidic ethnobotanist and now wandering prophet. He says, what lies behind you and what lies in front of you pales into comparison to what lies in wait for you. Hmm. And we will be back after a short station break. So please stay tuned. Attention all citizen scientists. We are looking for your findings for the first ever Citizen Scientist Conference to be broadcast live here on Eureka Cast Now, 8 to 9 p.m. on March 20th. If you have citizen science to submit, go to awcyfm.com slash EurekaCast Go to the contact page and submit your citizen science there. We are looking for all sorts of citizen science. We're looking for technology. We're looking for engineering. We're looking for uh, electricity, spirituality, nutrition, deeper understanding, anything at all. Anything. We will be peer reviewing it on March 20th for inclusion in the Citizen Science Journal. Eureka Cast now. Inspire curiosity. Imagine science. And welcome back. Yes, we are back. Welcome back, everybody, citizen scientists especially. And I'm super excited for you, citizen scientists, because I think the guest that we have on tonight is a one-of-a-kind one uh, person who is ready to discuss probably the thing that's at the forefront of our, our cultural collective experience together, and that is thinking about ways of making data better now already i i think out of the gate i need to i need to say that me personally as well as 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 rowan over there we do love data is that right of course data is the backbone the bread and butter for everything that we enjoy in our modern society right. be that innovation uh, right. curiosity creativity um spirituality Certainly. god the data is what informs all of these these phenomenon and right. how we interact with them and candies candies ra rainbows video games laughter it's it's all it's all just data at, at, at the end of the day at the end of the day it really is and for a while, I think the cultural milieu sort of reflected that, and data was was um, a magical thing in right. in the minds of individuals, even those not involved in the professions of science and technology. Right. I have very fond memories of, as a child, part of my inspiration for be, go, go, following the the career path that I did was my f the fond relationship that I had with data. I would go out, I would collect my own data with my friends. In the forest, you know, there there was less supervision, so I could go out and collect as much data as I want. I brought it home. I put it in little glass jars around my room, and it was beautiful. And and, and but unfortunately, th there have been movements within wider culture, corporate culture, right? And unfortunately, even the science and technology spheres, right. where that has rendered data um, unfun, uncool, uh, bloated, corporate, right. big, um, and especially for the for the younger people entering into these these career fields into the tech and science fields you see them they don't have that relationship to data that we used to and for them it seems like just a burden a, a drudgery a chore right. um I, i've seen that as well with my own grad students but nevertheless uh we 
do not necessarily need to assume that that will always be the case because no. there are individuals out there who have a vested interest, who have a deep understanding and love for data and want to see its image rehabilitated. And that's our guest tonight, Dr. Michael Hackensack, New Jersey, senior senior data experience producer at Sailoft. Uh, Dr. Hackensack, New Jersey, are you there? Yes. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, well, welcome, Dr. Hackensack. Now, um, we haven't we haven't really had any any written correspondence recently, but I I have to say over the phone at least that that name sounds very very familiar or very very interesting. What what is the, what is the what is the story behind that name? Is there an etymology behind that name? Are you from New Jersey? Like, what's the what's the deal with that name? Uh, the name has an interesting history. Um, I'm always keen to talk about it. Um, even though some of that history is somewhat shameful for members of my family. Interesting. Um, the first name, Michael, mm -hmm. that's simply an uncreative white boy name. It's something that my parents gave to me because they lacked the mental capacity to come up with anything else. Mm -hmm. The last name, Hackensack, New Jersey, all, is all a word? direct result of... No, 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 no. It's Hackensack, hyphen in there, comma, okay, space, new, space, Jersey, Hackensack, New Jersey. We'll, we'll have to now. That is a direct result of the flawed processes that produced my first name. Um, my parents both had a dream when they were younger. Mm -hmm. They believed that their legacy would be Princeton University. Truly, that they would both attend Princeton University and spawn children who would then go on to attend Princeton University mm -hmm. and they would marry their fate and their reputation to Princeton University. Um, mm -hmm. Neither of them were capable of attending Princeton University in undergrad, grad school, so on. And they were so caught up on this concept that at one point or another, they decided to just settle for the next best thing, regional proximity, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they changed our last name to Hackensack, New Jersey. It just happens to be a town near Princeton. Fascinating. Very interesting. And I, I dare say, it's, I, consider, I consider you and your family lucky that you didn't get into Princeton because I do not think you would reach the level that you are today as a senior data experienced producer at Sailloft, if that was the case. Yeah, well, it, it was a blessing in disguise. My parents are woefully stupid, bless them. But they they could not have predicted what eventually became of Princeton. As we all know, right. Princeton lacks stature these days. Yeah, And I would never have been able to achieve what I've achieved if I had been bound to that institution. They're, they're one of the they're one of the, the worst the worst bad actors when it comes to boring bad data, certainly. Yeah, and they, they certainly had a lot to do with the fact that data has become so uncool. Right. Well, and that's an excellent segue because that is your uh, career. Right. Being a, a senior data experience producer. So why don't you talk about that a little bit and, and discuss what that actually means uh, in, in maybe more brass tacks sort of sense. So let me take one step back and frame this. Mm -hmm. Data, as we know, it, it reached a level of ubiquity that it just became uninteresting at one point in our society. Very fair. Very fair. We used to dig through data ravenously as children and as adults. With and of course, the, the contents of that data was very different at different right. ages. Unending hunger, as I recall. Oh, yes, of course. And those of us of our generation, we remember that. Mm -hmm. But younger generations have been have been reared in an environment where data is not only so ubiquitous as to be boring, but is also limited in various ways by by burdensome regulations. Oh, now yes. my job mm -hmm. is to once again make data an exciting prospect to younger minds and to sort of sexify it in many cases. And that's what I do at Sailoft. Fascinating. Very fascinating. Um, do you, so 
do you have what's do you have a, a personal story that got you into this field? Is there something that that sort of sparked this passion for data and its wider um, understanding in the world and its cultural clout, if you will? So as I was ascending through the the techno experience sphere, mm-hmm. I wanted to continue to ground myself in my formative experiences. Experiences, that's a word that that is so important to understanding my journey, mm-hmm. to understanding Sailoft, to understanding the overall strategy of Sailoft's benevolent owner, mm-hmm. PepsiCo Viacom Halliburton, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of our shared goals in, in data experience production. Mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned my poor, stupid parents before. Mm-hmm. My poor, stupid parents owned what you might know in common parlance as a 1985 Cadillac Cimarron. Right. This is a a small car marketed as a luxury car, Mm -hmm. uh, but underneath it bore the bones of a Chevy Cavalier, a horrible, horrible, horrible car. Right. Hmm. But I remember at one point in my life being so innocent as to think that that Cadillac badge and that name meant something and to believe what my parents believed aspirationally about their little cavalier with a different badge on it and my initial data experience production experience was to design a data experience around that 1985 cadillac cimarron that my parents owned i found it in a facebook marketplace post in the group underappreciated survivors for sale 1973 to 2003 Hmm. it was being sold by somebody in Dearborn Heights, Michigan, it had only 43,800 miles on it. And that was only a little bit more than when my parents left it 20 years before. Again, these are not great cars. Fascinating. But I was just out of college at that time. I was working in another right. techno-creative field. Of course, <laughs> as we all And realize. I was living in San Francisco, the city proper. The city and that is a perfect environment for an old car to thrive, even if it doesn't work most of the time. So anyways, <laughs> long story short, I bought the car. I generated so much data on that baby. You know, even in the environment of burdensome data regulations, mm-hmm. ownership of an object can transcend almost anything. So I was able to collect so many data points about that car. And to then conceptualize the car in the way that my 12-year-old mind would. Mm. You know, key things like how many cylinders does this have? How many doors does this have? How many wheels does this have? How many times has it been started in the last year successfully? Such a big data point. So so I can just imagine just you cruising around in the San Francisco hills, Mm. um, blaring perhaps some sort of rock and roll music with your sunglasses on in your car, going around and and finding data as it would come to you um, on a journey, uh, perhaps a a easy rider or a fear and loathing in Las Vegas style. Adventure. Yeah, and you know, for a while it was it was very off the grid. It was very very DIY, very very um, mm-hmm. unsanctioned in a way because, as you know, like bespoke tailored data collection is very hard these days. It's so hard. You can't just go into a public square and record your every interaction with a human being anymore. People are very that... wary of that. They are extremely wary of that approach. And I Oh, I've... and let me tell you, so are the law enforcement agencies. Right. Mm. I mean, I've had I've definitely gone on the marketplace. I've looked for for data that I thought, you know, I I I've looked page after page after page. Sometimes sometimes I've went in person and looked for, you know, data myself. I I I I hit it. I checked underneath the spreadsheets. I looked at all the numbers. I tried to look for, you know, I tried to look for the right things. I trained myself to look for the right things in data, and I thought I had a, good, I thought I had a good deal, and I got that data. And what I, what I found when I, when I, when I finally brought it home and, and really opened it up, was it was a mess. Like this data was not organized. <laughs> yeah, they're missing, yeah. missing things, errors all over the place. Bespoke, bespoke data, 
is it's just not it doesn't feel safe anymore to, to many people no 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 no. i totally get where you're coming from and and part of why i i was just so sick of operating underground which is why mm. finding and helping found the team that became sailloft right and then integrating that team into the wonderful auspices of pepsico viacom halliburton right wonderful. was so useful mm. we had access then to a number of emerging markets to test new data collection strategies that we could then implement back in our domestic market through unique partnerships with lawmakers and lobbying firms. Just, yeah, full of data. They have desks of unused data at law, fir- at law firms. Well, frankly, if the chuckleheads in Washington had more data, I think we'd all be better off. Yeah. I'm, I'm still waiting for the data-driven politician, but that's a discussion for another time entirely. Um, so we've established that that you sort of you had this sort of uh, cowboy, uh, you know, drugstore cowboy attitude towards mm-hmm. data in your younger years, yeah. and you spaghetti you, data western. You came up into sale loft and and began integrating and repackaging data uh, in a more well, maybe repackaging yeah. is the wrong word. And so yeah, yeah, and so goes the data. You gave it a you you gave it a new a new fresh paint job and you made it something that people were proud to to comb through to sort so i um while we're discussing this i was wondering and i understand if there are ndas that are applicable or what have you but could you speak to perhaps a recent project that you have worked on yeah so imagine this yes a Mm -hmm. circular drink coaster Mm -hmm. all right now imagine this Mm-hmm. A line drawn across one edge of that drink coaster. And on one side of the line, there's the color black. So on one. the other side of the line... Which side? The right side. Okay. There's a, a more beige tone, like a light wood, almost. Mm-hmm. Now, further to the right, there's sort of the edge of a triangle. But you don't see one of the triangle's edges because it's uh, it's past the curved edge of this circular coaster. I see. Now, in addition, you see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 17. additional partial line segments intersecting at various angles inside of the light portion color uh, uh, portion of the coaster. Okay. And then approximately 35 dots of varying size on the remaining surface. All right. Think I have of, that locked in. I, I feel, yeah, I feel this. Yeah. Now... I've described that verbally, but to really experience that, you used to have to get your hands on it, you know? You, you used to have to, like, feel it up. You right. used to have to, like, know the texture by hand. And then came the era of big data before all these regulations came along, and right. you could you could quantify every little bit of that baby. Now, we have to work in kind of a constrained regulatory environment, but what right. we're working with now is creative solutions to, to 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 produce the feeling of the coaster with the shapes and the lines and the dots uh, and and I can't really talk about the results of this project but sure. I'm I, I'm very excited about it. That's that 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 really is quite quite it's, fascinating. Yeah, it's it tr- truly go into if I was able to put on a VR headset and experience what you just described in its geometric geometric absolutude and it's and it's and it's glory. I mean, you'd never want to die if you had experienced that. Let I me would tell never you. want to die. So, um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the power w- of data. As so goes the data, as they say. Um, so uh, while we have the time, I thought maybe we could shift into talking about sort of the wider picture of mm-hmm. what's going on with data and sort of um right. the the cultural uh, footprint of data and its perceptions. Uh, Namely, I wanted to bring up the concept of the cloud, Um, because while data as a wider concept has become less sexy, less intriguing, Mm -hmm. less, um, you know, uh, culturally captivating, the cloud has seen sort of a a different swing. It's sort of moved up into that area. And some would argue the cloud is a subset of data, but I'm getting the impression, but culturally it's not seen in that manner. Um, So yeah, how do you, how do you feel about what you're doing as compared to the the cloud? So 
there's some great opportunity for synergy there to 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 really capture the energy of what, what's going into the cloud space. Yeah. Capture the energy and, of the cloud. Yes, and, and, and capture the cultural energy of of this moment and the cloudification of our economy and our society. Right. So um, many people. So many. So many people that I talk to. They do not appreciate the cloud. They don't see what they can get from the cloud. Well, you know what? I think that might be just a um, a byproduct of who you're interacting with because I have some students come in, some of these Zoomers, mm. and they will they constantly speak of the cloud. Um, I mean, they want to be cloudified. They, they, I, I mean, I cloudify clouds, people every day. I, it's 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 the new popular right. thing. Um, yeah, it's a gas. So you you're attempting to synergize with the cloud is what you're what you are getting at. Yeah, let me tell you how. So, the cloud. We yes. run our own cloud here at Sailloft. Um, mm-hmm. It's protected by, by by all of the same unique right. legislative relationships mm-hmm. that our parent organization has. And that means PepsiCo. that data activities on the cloud are less constrained than data activities on your own computer. Mm-hmm. That's That seems remarkably um, over, overreaching. Oh, but just imagine what you can do and the experiences you can discover. Remember all of those things we were talking about earlier, like being younger, being able to have the freedom to collect and use data as you so choose to craft your own life story, to craft your own entertainment, to craft your own experiences, that independence, that free spirit. Running barefoot through the woods with a butterfly net in hand. Being in the in the garage just making data after data after data and yet you didn't care you didn't care what other people were saying because the no. data was yours at you the end that of radio exactly player. and the uh, we want to provide that kind of experience mm. for a new generation that has forgotten or never been taught just how freeing that experience I, I, can be i don't know which one is worse personally well i know um, they say you cannot convince a man of something that his salary depends on him right. not understanding. And I'm a testament to that. I know exactly which path we're taking. And that's, and that's the path. Is that path? So, so from what I'm, from what I'm, from what I'm getting at, from what I'm getting from you, I, I do have a question. Is that, so is that path, is it, is it alongside the cloud or is it through the cloud? It's through the cloud for now, for now, for now, for now, for now. Okay. It's through the cloud. We might benevolently decide that those same relaxed approaches that are allowed on our cloud can be allowed on people's personal devices once again when it's no longer, you know, competitively advantageous or interesting for us. Right. And then one day we may be able to spread that through through everybody's little little non-cloud bits and pieces right now i have i have one more question we have one more question um because we are running very short on time and this is i mean i have so many more i I mean of course of course um but there is one thing i would be remiss not to bring up Uh and this is something that's discussed in some of the sort of um fringe i by considered fringe by the mainstream sort of areas that i engage in in the internet communities and that is namely the the concept of of uh, a, a plateau with which data can be sort of gleaned. The idea that at a certain point there is there is only so much data within concrete things that can mm-hmm. be extracted. Namely, this idea that we are either approaching or at peak data. And very shortly, how would you address those concerns, those uh, th- those ideas? Right. Okay. Take a data set. Yes. Slice yeah. it one way. Take that same data set, slice it another way. Mm-hmm. Average three things, average four things. Uh, take the median, take the mode. Uh, like it, theoretically, uh, you can get down to the level of like atoms and subatomic particles and and count them up and have like a finite amount of things. Right. But the data, the data will never be finite because you can transform and load that data in so many different ways. Right. And the ways that you can transform and load that data are infinite. And that's so exciting. Thank you very much, Dr. Michael Hackensack, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. This has been an illuminating discussion, and I wish you the best in bringing the joy and love of data to a new generation. Right. Shine that data down on us again.
Of course. And and one side note, if you get a call from the U.S. Department of Treasury in the following days, just hang up. Um, we'll keep I, that in mind. I, I usually do. Thank you very much. Well, that was fascinating, but it is time and now for our citizen science. Right, let's hear from you. So this comes from Steve Mack on Facebook. <clears throat> he says, The truth is, because animals don't speak our language, and we are only basing our knowledge on our observations based on our own test of them, we don't know what's up. This is why all of the ancient traditions of the world, and particularly the ancient surfing traditions, are based on respect for, not knowledge of, an animal. Respect can be communicated and shared, whereas knowledge is used for control. Hmm. Now, this this is not necessarily a science in and of itself, I would say. It's more of a, um, a sort of touching on the philosophy of science and sort of holding up the mirror to the face of the scientific establishment and saying, this is you, this ugly visage, Mm -hmm. that is you. Yeah. I, now I don't like the implication that we don't know what's up. I I think, (laughs) I, I think we know a little bit about what's up, but I think my big criticism with this is that they totally take out the, even the possibility of respect being used for control which we have scientific evidence that it very well could be i suppose that's fair but i I, i'm just glad to see that individuals are out there not just positing their own scientific theories theorems uh, Mm -hmm. uh, concepts but questioning in such an insightful manner the basis of what we think we know right um and and the purpose of knowledge versus respect and in particular the aspects of ancient surfing traditions that inform that i think i think it it asks a lot of very interesting questions and opens a lot of dialogues that sadly we just do not have time for on the program this evening biggest question being surf's up I'd like to close on a quote by what some consider to be the most important electrical engineer of the 1970s, and that is Dr. Tantamount Darlene. And they said this, The life of an electrical engineer is only about 20% inductors and diagrams. Most days, all I do is take a drink and roll the dice. Eureka Cast Now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers New Media Labs in Chicago, Illinois. We are rebroadcast every Saturday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WLPN LP 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, and rebroadcast every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WIIT 88.9 FM, Chicago. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at Eureka Cast on Twitter and Instagram, or visit our website at awcyfm.com slash EurekaCast. Uh, I believe we have some other social media, Rowan. We do. Uh, If you engage in other forms of social media, please feel free to find us at facebook.com slash awcyfm or send an electronic mail to awcyfm at gmail.com where you can share with us any technological, scientific, or spiritual breakthroughs you've witnessed or participated in. Additionally, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the program, feel free to reach out at that email, which is once again Again, A-W-C-Y-F-M at gmail.com. And with that, Chicago, allow us here at Eureka Cast Now to pierce the veil of our parasocial luncheon and send you back to your base state. You see, because it's not a question, surf's up is like a state.